Hello, my name is Dr. Paul Wheatley-Price, a medical oncologist and president of Lung Cancer Canada. Welcome to our podcast series called Lung Cancer Voices. In this series of podcasts, I'm interviewing patients, caregivers, healthcare professionals, some of the leading lung cancer researchers in the country, indeed in the world, to highlight important and relevant issues facing those affected by lung cancer. Welcome to this latest edition of Lung Cancer Voices, and I'm sitting down with Dr. Stephanie Snow, who's a medical oncologist in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Vice President of Lung Cancer Canada, and also with Dr. Quincy Chu, who is a medical oncologist and associate professor at the University of Alberta in Edmonton. And we are going to be talking about the next 10 years as we start the beginning of a new decade. And so what I'm going to ask Dr. Chu and Dr. Snow is to give me their sort of highlights of what have been the biggest advances in lung cancer over the last 10 years, and then what do they see as the things we can look forward to in the 20s. So I'm going to start by asking uh, Dr. Snow. Uh, Stephanie, what would you say um, you would pick out as the top things that has improved lung cancer in the last decade? I think that ultimately our goal is to cure patients of lung cancer. I think there have been a number of advances that have helped us to meet that goal over the past 10 years. First of all, we've now developed evidence for some good screening strategies. And if we can pick up patients before they have symptoms and find their cancers at an earlier stage, it's a higher chance that we're going to be able to treat them with curative intent. Also, the ways that we treat patients for cure have really evolved. There are new uh, surgical techniques that are less invasive, and we now can offer curative intent treatment to people who are not surgical candidates, either because of comorbidities or they're too frail with ablative radiation techniques. Finally, I think that we've gotten better at staging. Things like PET scans allow us to get more accurate staging so that we can ensure that patients are getting the right treatment for their stage of cancer. Great. Thank you. And maybe uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I could point you to some of our previous podcasts, which which touch on some of those issues that uh, Dr. Snow's just mentioned. So uh, you could listen to the the interview with Dr. Stephen Lamb talking about lung cancer screening, uh, the episode with uh, Professor Eric Lim from uh, the Royal Brompton Hospital in London, where he talked about uh, less invasive surgery, and uh, Dr. David Palmer, radiation oncologist, and he talked about some of the newer radiation techniques. Okay, so uh, Quincy, how about you? The top things we've seen in the last few years. So I think right, the uh, last 10 years, right, we have recognized uh, lung cancer is not one cancer, uh, not just right, by right, how they look like right, under the microscope is what is abnormal in the genes. So we now develop drugs that actually target the genes that are abnormal in those lung cancer and treat them with the appropriate drugs. And they are better tolerated, make the, uh, patients or have better quality of life, and less side effects, and they actually um, not only or make them live long, uh, uh, control their cancer longer, but also make them live longer. And then or the other or advances is something that initially I was a little bit skeptical is about the use of immunotherapy in lung cancer. There are lots of logistics or to say that it will work, but right until or you show this to me that it does make people live longer. Uh, I don't believe it, and I was very surprised right, that it actually works. And also the patients tolerated well, and the uptake, both in the community as well as the physician side, are also all right, are, are, are on the same page. We like these drugs. They're 
generally well tolerated. They make people live longer, and so we are very eager to use them. So I think those are my or a, a so-called drug side or a what have we make our, our patients live longer and a better quality of life, and hopefully we can cure more of them. So let me just uh, ask you to clarify one of those points. So you mentioned the two big things of targeted therapy, of finding these new subtypes, and then immunotherapy. For the targeted therapy in the last few years, um, f- for people listening who might be aware of some of these, which, which particular targets do you mean? Are there, what are the names of these subtypes that we can successfully treat in the last few years? Okay, uh, so most of, almost all of them are identified in the adenocarcinoma subtypes of lung cancer. And then there are, there are EGFR or uh, epidermal growth factors receptor. Uh, there is ELK and the plastic lymphoma kinase. And now we're starting to have some emerging ones such as BRAF, uh, mutations. And, I, and I'll hold you there because I think okay. that's probably where we're going to in the in next the 10 years, isn't it? So, yes. So EGFR and, and ALK and again, previous episodes of this podcast uh, with the, Dr. Natasha Lale and Dr. David Gandara, who talked a bit about uh, these testings. And there's been some interviews we've had with patients on immunotherapy and on on an EGFR, in fact. Okay, well, um, so uh, Dr. Chu, I'm going to stick with you now. So okay. now uh, put on your... Um, uh, your your future scope or uh, get out your crystal ball and mm-hmm. tell us what do you think are going to be the big things in the next 10 years? So I think all right, the next 10 years is <clears throat> the incorporation of immunotherapy or targeted therapy in patients of resected lung cancer. Uh, that's one. Two is that what can Re- we make? Resected lung cancer, you mean... Those people uh, at an early stage. Early stage. Right. So the stage one and stage two patients and some of the stage three patients after we remove their lung cancer, are we giving them chemotherapy, maybe in combination with immunotherapy, maybe with combination with targeted therapy. Those are things that, are, that will be coming. The other thing all right, is that we also have to recognize is that although immunotherapy is working quite well in the spread setting or metastatic setting of lung cancer, but there are patients who don't respond. There are patients who responded and then right, it and the drug would stop working. And then I can see that there will be a lot of right, new information going to come out is how can we make the drug works better in these two groups of patients or even going to make the patients who are responding to immunotherapy will respond longer and better. And so that's right, everybody will live longer. So next 10 years, I think right, we will have a lot of lung cancer patients that are living longer, or we can cure them, or the ones that we can't cure, we make them live even longer than what we see now. Okay. So if I can summarize that, that I understood what you're saying correctly. So you're talking about using some of these drugs that we've learned about in the last few years, but using them earlier, and trying to identify the people where it's working and make it work better, or or try and identify the people where those drugs aren't working so well and figure out a new approach. Okay, now, Dr. Snow, how about you? Is that is that all we've got to look forward to? It sounds good, but it doesn't wow me. Well, I certainly agree with uh, Quincy in that I think we've made a lot of strides and we will continue to do so in our treatments of patients with lung cancer. I think um, another perspective is at the end of the day that prevention, it will be the best way to actually have the largest impact on the burden of lung cancer. And the majority of lung cancers are related to tobacco consumption. So in the future, it'll be interesting to see how countries like Canada, where smoking rates have gone down, 
will actually change the landscape. We may see a lower incidence, at least per capita, of lung cancer, but our population's growing. But there's other countries in the world where rates of smoking are actually increasing. So we may find more and more differences between countries as we go forward. And of course, with increasing global movement, I guess we could see people from countries where smoking rates are higher, but emigrating to Canada and, and and then in Canada we're dealing with that or if people are listening to this from other countries you know that kind of movement of migration. Absolutely and there's other uh, new potential risks on the horizon we don't know what the long-term impact on lung cancer things like vaping and e-cigarettes will have we've seen already some acute lung injury related to those things but we don't know the long-term implications also things like pollution and the impact that will have potentially on non-smoking uh, rates of lung cancer. I also would hope that in the future we'll continue with those strides that we've made in screening. It took us a long time to establish the role of the low-dose CAT scan in screening, and hopefully in the future we'll be able to find new screening techniques which are less resource-intensive, things, for instance, breath analysis or blood work analysis that will really make screening open to a larger population and hopefully be able to establish a situation whereby we can be screening on a larger scale and making sure there's an infrastructure to deal with those positive screen tests. Maybe I just interject there because uh, lung cancer screening, um, we don't have programs in Canada really that are widespread at the moment. There's the, there's the odd pilot or clinical trial that's been uh, that's allowed access to screening for some people, but it's not widespread. Um, but I, I should point out that the the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer or CPAC, uh, they have produced um, the Canadian Strategy for Cancer Control for the next decade, 2019 to 2029, and specifically they call out in in the, a list of. Uh, five main priorities, but priority two, I'll just read, it says uh, strengthen existing screening efforts and implement lung cancer screening programs across Canada. And it's the only cancer-specific um, recommendation that calls out one particular cancer, which is lung cancer screening. Anyway, sorry, I was that was a long interruption. What, what other things in the next 10 years? Um, pr- prevention, smoking cessation, tobacco control, um, breath analysis, implementing screening... What else do you see? Well, I think, um, coming back to what uh, Quincy's already been speaking of, I think we'll be able to find new targets and get more and more specific on how to treat patients with personalized medicine, and also as we learn to better understand immunotherapy, how to make the non-responder into a responder, the role of some very complex interactions, things like the microbiome, diet, antibiotics. What is the microbiome? So the microbiome is the natural bacteria that we have in our bodies. And we all know we have bacteria, but it's only more so recently that we've really been understanding the huge impact the type of bacteria and the amount of bacteria we have have on our overall health. And it may be that by manipulating our friends, our bacteria that we live with, we can actually have a huge impact on cancer outcomes and not just cancer outcomes, but many other chronic diseases and diseases that have a large burden of morbidity in our society. So um, you mentioned targeted therapy, and, and in uh, Quincy, in your earlier answer, you, you we talked about EGFR and ALK from the last 10 years, but you were starting to talk about other targets. And yes. what, what can we anticipate, do you think, 
the new subtypes. So the new subtypes, there are actually already quite a few already that uh, will translate into practice in the next 10 years. One is ROS1, uh, which is in very small number of people, less than 1% of people. There's BRAF is another 1%. There's ANTRAC, which is way less than 1%. And a whole list of others like RAT, uh, RET, which is going to be tested in the clinic very uh, uh, at the moment. And then there are many, many others. K- KRAS, maybe I'll KRAS, jump in, right, there is another which could drug be another coming. good group. And then, uh, and then is that right, these drugs all will work for periods of time, and therefore we need to develop new strategies or as to what to do next. So there will be lots of things right, that is going to happen in lung cancer. And i just also like to mention one thing. I think right, in Canada, the demographic of lung cancer is going to change as well, which is right, the increasing number of never-smoking lung cancer cancer patients um, dated myself or when I was a resident I basically when I see one I kind of say are you really not a smoker and nowadays uh, there are lots of them that are non-smokers so what happens to those people how can we detect their lung cancer earlier because it's a very common theme is that these patients said uh, is there any way you can do to detect it earlier and, and I said I really don't know at the moment because we don't even know what are the causes Right, but actually uh, Dr. Snow alluded to breathomics earlier and actually Lung Cancer Canada gave a grant, a research grant earlier Mm. or just a few months ago to a group in Vancouver who were studying uh, the contents of someone's exhaled breath to see if that might uh, give some clues about early detection. That's fantastic. Now I'm going to ask you to do an ask you an impossible question here because mm-hmm. ten years ago, mm-hmm. some of these targets EGFR we knew about ten years ago. Although treatment and testing was only starting around then, ALK came a couple of years later. If you'd asked me ten years ago, um, is immunotherapy uh, drugs going to revolutionize your clinic? I would have maybe answered with um, what's immunotherapy. So is there something out there, is there a golden goose that we're not even talking about now or it's just kind of being hinted at that might be a completely new way of doing things? Well, I think right now I don't think we have anything. Uh, I think gray lung cancer is like uh, we're just trying any possible ways to treat this entity or these entities. Uh, driven by science, so I don't think I have anything I can foresee is going to happen soon. And and it was an impossible question because I'm asking you to tell me the unknown unknown. But Dr. Snow, maybe you can. Maybe you're. Maybe you've got. Uh... Well, as I mentioned previously, I am very fascinated by the concept of the microbiome and their impact on our health. I think we're only at the tip of the iceberg. And I think that we're going to find out information about predicting who can get cancer, reducing risk factors by manipulating um, that type of information, but also manipulating the responses to treatment. So um, I don't know what's going to come, but I'm very excited to watch how that story unfolds. Yeah, that might be a great answer. I'd never heard of the word microbiome maybe until about two years ago. But actually, there's some leading researchers in the microbiome in, in, in cancer in Canada. Uh, there's a great group in Montreal that, uh, that are looking at this. Okay, so um, my sort of penultimate question and to both of you is, you know, a lot of excitement, new targets, using immunotherapy better, implementing screening, the microbiome. What are going to be the barriers that, that, 
stop us doing this? What are the biggest challenges you think that we face? Well, I think regardless of the specifics of uh, what treatment, uh, with what intent, we ultimately are looking at research with evidence and then accessing that treatment. And that costs money. Research costs money and accessing therapies costs money. And I think that traditionally we've always approached our research as one size fits all. Very large trials that look at one treatment versus another treatment. But as we're getting into more specific personalized medicine, we'll have to think of smarter ways to do research to come up with answers that can help um, guide our treatment decisions, but also our drug funding decisions to make sure that we're getting the best bang for our health care buck. I think there may be some interesting things that will play out in the future. Certainly, if we move to a national pharmacare model, that could have some huge implications for access across the country, because right now there's a lot of disparity um, between provinces. And I think that ultimately what we need to do is continue to say, what are the best therapies? What are the best interventions? And how can we maximize the amount of benefit we get for what resources we have thank you oh yeah so for me right aside from max as i think right we also have to look at how do we diagnose people faster smarter all right because right now we are mostly doing tumor testing and then right, the amount of tissue very often we get from lung cancer patients is small. So how do we maximize the use so we can find out what tar- what, how should we treat these patients from the tumor or developing technology using the blood. But overall, right, those things we need to maximize it, make it smarter, make it cheaper, make it faster. And then the second thing is, and that's a big thing uh, right now, I think, right, every lever of government is, Debt up to the like debt up to the eyeballs, all right. But te- new technologies are coming in. So how do we, all right, kind of get that going so that we're not left behind? And uh, that's uh, that's something, all right, that I think is very important. And as you say, all right, about screening. So how do we get it done, all right, quickly? Even it's just CT screening. How can we get it done? Both of you have mentioned money as potentially being a barrier because it's expensive to implement these programs, get the new technologies. But we also know that those technologies are getting cheaper as they as they go along. So Absolutely. I think the development of smart systems, whether it's a smart system to move from an abnormal chest x-ray to a curative intent therapy, or if it's a smart system to uh, be involving patients at research, getting those results quickly and be able to help inform the future patient. I think smart systems will be a part of how we answer those questions in the future. Great. Thank you. Well, now in terms of smart questions, um, this is going to be a difficult question just to, to, to wrap up this. So, just in terms of statistics, lung cancer is the most common cancer in Canada. Uh, 29,000 cases in 2019, and that's been going up year on year. Uh, at the beginning of the last decade, in 2010, the five-year survival rate, so the amount of people alive five years after diagnosis, was 13%. And by last year, we're now up to 18%. So 13% up to 18%. So that's some progress. But we contrast that with, say, prostate cancer, where the five-year survival rate is over 90%, or breast cancer, where it's in the high 80s, or colorectal cancer, where it's not as good, but it's still 65 to 70%. So if we sit down again 10 years from now, I'd like you to tell me now, 
give me a number. What do you think the five-year survival rate for lung cancer will be in 2030? Well, Paul, you did leave a hard question for the end. I think in 10 years, we'll have had time to get a lot more screening programs into place and um, we'll hopefully have a lot better treatment. So I'd love to see us approaching that 50% mark. In all reality, 10 years can go by quickly. So I think that um, somewhere around 25, 30% would be reasonable, but who knows? Maybe we'll blow this right out of the water. All right, so you fudged your answer there. 25 to 30, maybe up to 50. I would say around 30 percent at the okay. moment uh, not because i'm a pessimist right i like to kind of get a reasonable goal but if we do it better than that we'll be very very happy yeah. about that well you know i'm going to be a bit more optimistic and i'm going to go up to the nearer 50 percent mark because i think if we can implement screening then instead of half our patients being diagnosed or three quarters of our patients being diagnosed at stage three and four Three quarters of them will be diagnosed at stage one or two if they can get screening uh, with high cure rates. And I see now in every clinic I'm in, patients who I'm treating with immunotherapy or some of these targeted therapies who have already lived more than five years, even if they have stage four lung cancer. So if we can improve on the things that you've mentioned, I'm going to go for 50%. We would like to see that. Well, with that, I would like to thank you both very much for spending time on the Lung Cancer Voices podcast. And if you're listening to this podcast and you've got more questions, uh, you can contact uh, lungcancercanada.ca or do speak to your physician. Thank you very much. Thank you again for joining us. Thanks to our producer, Ryan Mullen. Please send us your feedback, like and follow us on Facebook at LungCan, on Twitter at LungCancer underscore Can, and on Instagram at LungCancerCanada. For more information about lung cancer or to donate, volunteer or share your story, visit our webpage at lungcancercanada.ca.